0: Thank you, worship team, for leading us in that time of praise and worship to our Lord through song. Hebrews chapter 6 uh, is our text for today, Hebrews 6, 1 through 8. Please turn with me there in your Bible Let me say a few things to you before we dig into the text. First, I missed you last week. Oh, thank you for praying for us. Many of you uh, have asked and, and messaged us about how things went, and we were uh, moving um, Uh, Savannah to be with Taylor uh, there in upstate New York outside of Fort Drum. And so we did that last week and last weekend, and we, um, within two days, got their house all set up for them, and uh, and then uh, got up at 3.30 on uh, Sunday morning to come back, and in Charlotte, during our layover, we were able to watch the first service online and worship with you all that way. But uh, nothing like being here, and I did miss you, and, uh, you know, one of the greatest joys of my life, and there are many... I'm thankful for my relationship with Jesus. I'm thankful for the family God has, uh, has given to me. Uh, but how grateful I am for my church family. And I count it one of the greatest privileges and greatest honors and blessings to be a part of this church family. And, and I love you deeply and am so thankful for you. And I always miss you when I am away. And so it's good to be back today. Let me also bring to attention what we've mentioned already uh, to a degree, especially on the announcement video, and that is Vacation Bible School is next week. Now, that doesn't mean tomorrow, but the next week, uh, the the Monday after Father's Day, uh, we still need some help. Uh, So if you are willing to volunteer for Vacation Bible School, one of the great needs is guides, and guides take groups of kids from one station to the next. And so, if you're willing to do that, you can be a student, an adult. If you're willing to do that, that's a need. Also, there's a need for food in the um, rehab room for the workers. They go in there and take breaks and eat, and they've got to keep their calorie intake in, you know, while they're uh, serving in VBS. So, uh, if you can help with food, then please let us know that. Miss Ann's going to be out in the foyer at the end of the service. You can talk with her about areas that you might can plug in. For VBS, also as you saw in the announcement video, let me just remind you and, and tell you, in case you haven't heard about this yet, an event that's coming up here at our church in August, August the thirteenth. Uh, there's going to be a, a God's Great Outdoor Event, and this is really sponsored by our Outdoor Ministry here in the church and Jeff Danker, who is well known among uh, those serious hunting enthusiasts. He is a serious hunter. Uh, And uh, he's going to be talking about uh, some whitetail stories he's going to tell about whitetail hunting, and then uh, he's going to talk about Jesus. So, this is a great event for uh, our people to be at, but to bring people with us, people we know that are not saved. This is a great opportunity to bring them here, and uh, they'll hear Jesus. And so, it's a great outreach event for us. So, mark your calendars, go ahead and plan to be there for that. And uh, what a great time that's going to be. And make sure you bring someone with you. And then finally, before we pray, this week, actually, after the service today, several of us will be going to New Orleans for the Southern Baptist Convention. So pray for us this week as we uh, the messengers from our church will be attending all the business meetings. And we'll be voting on the issues there. So pray for us to have discernment and wisdom. Pray for God to move powerfully in our meetings to bring us together and focus us in on what we need to be focused on, and that is advancing the gospel. And we just pray for God to move among us in a great way as we meet together. So please keep that in mind. Well, let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, I am thankful for this opportunity to stand and preach the Word of God. I know, Lord, I can't do this without you. I know that I need you. And I ask you right now, Father, to give to me clarity of mind and clarity of speech. I pray for you to anoint me with the Holy Spirit, enable me to speak the truths of your Word. I pray that you will, Lord, just fill this room, captivate our attention, speak to us, remove distractions, Lord, from our minds and hearts, and help us to hear the Word you have for us. I pray to be faithful to your text, and Lord, I want to be as best I know how. And so I pray, Lord, you will give me the the power that's needed, the, the clarity of mind and clarity of speech and the power to deliver your truth and speak to us, Lord. Please, Lord, let us hear from you today and apply what you say to us. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. An unhealthy and disobedient culture has persisted for many years within many of our churches in the SBC. And what I mean by that is, we celebrate conversions, which we should. If you can't get excited about people being saved, then there's something desperately wrong. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us in Luke chapter 15 that all of heaven rejoices over one sinner who repents. And there's nothing more joyful to me than to see someone come to know Christ as their Lord and Savior. To see the baptismal waters stirred with a a new convert to Christ and see the excitement uh, on their faces when they come up out of that water and they're just uh, in awe of how God has changed their lives, that is so incredibly joyful to me. And we need to celebrate that, and we always should. But what has been the culture of disobedience in our churches for many years has been the fact that we believe that once a person is converted, our job is done. And so what we have done is we have neglected discipleship. The Lord Jesus said to make disciples. That requires evangelism and it requires teaching. Matter of fact, He said in the Great Commission statement of Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, teaching them uh, to observe all that I have commanded you. So there is a teaching of the truth of God to help a person know how to follow Jesus. And we have just assumed that's going to happen automatically. Now... I'm not saying that can't happen because if they attend church on a regular basis and they're truly listening to what the Word says and and there's an emphasis on application of this truth and discipleship can begin to take place in a person's life, but what we need is people who come along beside new converts and purposefully and intentionally help them understand the truth of God and apply the truth of God and help them in, in the path of maturity as a believer. And so because we have not done that the way we should then what's happened is we've created this mindset that if a person you know a person just says well I'm saved and so you know everything's fine you know I'm just going to I know I'm going to heaven so I'm just going to they just kind of live life for themselves and everything is about what they want to do there's personal goals and many of them are just all kind of earthly related and there's not much eternal impact made in their lives And that's why sometimes their spiritual lives are so unsatisfying because they've not learned to have an intimacy with Christ. They've not learned to truly walk with the Lord. They're not experiencing the spiritual blessings that comes when a person is close to the Lord and they're obeying the Lord and they're walking with the Lord each day. And sometimes, even people who have been taught the things of God begin to be distracted. They get distracted by culture. They get distracted by... Uh, the, the world around them and they get pulled away by their own desires and they begin to be focused on those things and they, they even begin to lose sight of the basic understanding of the Christian faith that they once had and they once were, were living out much like the people being written to uh, in the book of Hebrews and it's a very serious matter worthy of severe warning when a person does not move toward maturity when we do not move towards spiritual maturity in our Christian walk. And that is the subject of what I'm going to be talking to us about today from this text. Let's read the Scripture this morning. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. Here's the Word of God. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection. That word there means maturity. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works, And of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. And this we will do, if God permits. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened, and have tasted the heavenly gift, and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit... And have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, if they fall away, to renew them again to repentance, since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put Him to open shame. For the earth, which drinks in the rain that often comes upon it and bears herbs useful for those by whom it is cultivated, receives blessing from God, but if it bears thorns and briars... It is rejected and near to being cursed, whose end is to be burned. Now, this is the most difficult text in the book of Hebrews to interpret. Not only in the book of Hebrews, but it is a very difficult uh, passage to interpret in a lot of the whole New Testament. I was sort of kidding around with a, a friend not long ago. We were discussing the book of hebrews and kind of discussing a certain passage and I said to him I said you know I I think it was easier for me to preach a year and two months to the book of revelation than it has been the book of hebrews because just digging so deeply and and, and trying to get through all the imagery and the and study the old testament that goes along with this to kind of get the an understanding of what's being said here these verses that I just read to you are often interpreted through our systematic theologies. What I mean by that is, each of us have a, a set of doctrinal beliefs. And we'll often come to a text like this and we just automatically begin to look at that text through the lens of those doctrinal beliefs. And what we should do is, first of all, take a look at the text. And we should look at the text in its context. The context of a passage is absolutely key to interpreting properly. You cannot just take a verse of Scripture and pull it out and then build everything around that. You've got to know exactly what that context is there. and That's going to help you interpret properly. You want to to know who it's written to. You want to know what the occasion was. What was the problem? What's being addressed there in that situation? What is the cultural aspects of what's going on there? And so you interpret it in light of what's happening in that passage and what's happening in the larger context of the book. And then once you've done that, then you begin to interpret it in light of the context of the whole Bible. And that helps you have a, a clearer understanding of, of the Word of God and keeps us from getting things wrong and and, and just kind of superimposing our own ideas and our own 21st century Ideas and culture on what that text is saying, and it helps us interpret then, once we get that interpretation, then we look at how it applies now, how it applies to the situation that we're in now. And so that's what we have to do with this text uh, for today. so let's let's take a look again at the context of the book of Hebrews. Now remember, this is being written to ethnic Jews, who have received Christ as their Savior. They're Christians. They're saved out of Judaism. So a lot of their thinking is going to be uh, based around their culture and their understanding of Old Testament. That's going to be very helpful in, in interpreting this passage for today. And remember, what the writer of Hebrews is doing here is he is elevating the supremacy of Christ. He is letting them know And and remember, this is a group of believers who are facing persecution and opposition. There are pressures on them. There there is a temptation for them now to slide back into a practice of Judaism so that they can sort of uh, miss some of the persecution and, and cultural pressures that they're facing at the moment. And so the writer is telling them, don't do that. But you need to stay faithful to Jesus Christ. You need to understand who He is. The first three verses of this book in chapter 1 let us know who who Christ is. He is God the Son. He is the express image of the person of God. He is a manifestation of His glory. He is creator. He is sustainer. He is savior. He is sovereign. All these things are presented in the first three verses of chapter 1. So He's elevating the greatness of of Christ. And he's encouraging them, don't drift spiritually. He's encouraging them to stay faithful. Now, he's not saying they can lose their salvation. He's talking to Christians and when he talks to them about unbelief, he's talking about having an unbelief like the Exodus generation of Israelite's did. They were people who were saved out of Egypt. They went into the wilderness after miraculous delivery took place uh, there in Egypt. All these plagues happened. And then Pharaoh finally, after that last uh, plague, when the firstborn of all in Egypt died, uh, uh, Pharaoh says, y'all get out of here. And so they, they leave. And then they get outside of Egypt there. They get to the Red Sea. And Pharaoh changes his mind. He comes to try to bring them back. And what God does is He miraculously delivers the people once again. He parts the Red Sea, dries out the ground. They walk across that dry ground to the other side. The Egyptians, they launch into the Red Sea also after them. And and then God releases those walls of water and destroys the Egyptian army. So they see this miraculous deliverance. And then they're, they're in the wilderness now. And they start complaining because they don't have anything to eat or drink and God provides for them. Three months go by. They get to Kadesh Barnea and they're about to go into the promised land. And uh, so 12 scouts are sent out. Remember, Numbers chapter 14, 13 and 14. There's, there's these scouts that are sent out, one from each tribe of the 12 tribes of, of Israel. And they go out and look at the land for 40 days and they come back and they say, it's incredible what's there. There's more bounty there than we could ever imagine. It is certainly a land flowing with milk and honey, but there are also mighty fortified cities. There are mighty people there. There are giants there. We're like grasshoppers to them. We can't go in. There's no way. The people start to mourn, and, and, and they're grieved over this. And there's two of these spies, Joshua and Caleb, and they say, hang on, guys, listen. God has promised. He's going to give us this. We need to go in and obey God and go in this land and watch what He does. But the people of Israel listened to the ten naysayers, and they decided not to go in. God was angered by this. The Word of God teaches us. Moses interceded for them, and God pardoned them. Once they realized what they had done, they were ready to go in the promised land, but God said, No, you can't do it. <clears throat> because of their disobedience... They were chastened and disciplined by God to have to wander in the wilderness until those 20 years of age and older died off and that next generation went into the promised land. So what he's doing is he's saying this, don't be like that Exodus generation and be unfaithful to keep following the Lord and go on with Him. You be faithful to Him. Chapter 4, he says, don't, while there's still an opportunity, you enter his rest. Remember, we talked about what rest means. I mean, ultimately, it's talking about salvation. But in the context of Hebrews, it speaks of a life of obedience once you are saved. And he says, you know, you, you enter that rest. You, you be diligent to enter that rest, lest you fall, the writer of Hebrews says, uh, following the same example of disobedience. So that's, that's the context. So we've got to interpret these verses based on what he's already been telling these people. You, you be careful here. You don't end up like the Exodus generation who missed what God had for them and that deeper level of obedience. You, you don't miss that. You stay faithful to him. So with that context in mind, That's how we're going to go about interpreting these verses today. Now, here's the main idea of this message. We are called to move to maturity, and refusal to do this results in God's punishment. That's our main idea. So, two things I want to show you from this text. Here's the first one, verses 1 through 3. We are called to move to maturity. We are called to move to maturity. Look at these verses. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection or maturity. He's wanting them to continue to mature. Not to stay with a basic Christian life and understanding, but to go on in the faith, to grow in righteousness, holiness, Wisdom, and grow in your service, all these areas. So he goes on to say, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, of the laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. Now, here's what God desires us to do He desires us to grow spiritually. He desires us to mature in the faith. He desires us to become more like Jesus. He desires us to pursue righteousness, love, peace, godliness. He desires us to become more and more like Jesus while we're here. Can I ask a question this morning? Can you say that about your life right now? Or are you still where you were 20 years ago? There's a warning for us here today if we're still where we are were 20 years ago and we've not moved on in our walk with God the, God, the Word of God tells us we are to mature in the faith. In chapter 5, verses 11 through 14 that we dealt with week before last, the writer of Hebrews confronts them about their immaturity. He says, you should be teachers by now, but you need somebody to come back along beside you and teach you. He says, you know, you should be eating solid food, but you need to go back to milk. You're a babe, and you should be mature. I will tell you this. We as the people of God need to move on to maturity. Now, the writer of Hebrews here begins to mention some basic principles of the Christian faith that we ought to be applying and living out and and moving on to a more deeper application of them. Remember, now, these were Jewish Christians, so they're going to probably understand a lot of this from a Jewish lens. The first thing that's mentioned here is that they're to move on from repentance and from dead works. Now, first of all, what they would have thought of is the law. And what they would have recognized is, you know what? We used to try to be saved by fulfilling the law and then identifying with the fact that we're God's covenant people. But let me tell you what the law will do for you. The law will let you know you can't be saved by keeping the law because you can't keep the law. And when you attempt to keep the law, what you find is how big of a sinner we really are and how desperately we need someone to deliver us from the state that we're in. And the one who delivers us is the captain of our salvation. Chapter 2 and verse 10 speaks of. He's the one that delivers us. And then when we're delivered from our sin and the Spirit of God lives in us, then we can take the law of God and we have the power to live it out now that we did not have before. But not just the basic understanding of the law. A more in-depth application of the law. The Lord Jesus taught us that. During the Sermon on the Mount, the Lord said, you've heard it said, you shall not commit murder. Now how many of you in here think murder is wrong? I'm worried about some of y'all. I won't see any hands up in here. I mean, it, probably not any of us would say, you know what, I'm thinking about killing someone right now. I'm, you know, I hope, I hope not anyway. But here's the thing. The Lord Jesus said, if you harbor anger in your heart toward someone you commit murder in your heart we don't like someone we think they've wronged us or whatever it may be and then we begin to harbor this anger toward them and we we despise that person and we act all righteous because well we're not killing them (laughs) but in fact we are in our hearts there's a level that's taking place within our hearts The Lord said, you've heard it said, don't don't commit adultery. But I say to you, if you lust in your heart, you're committing adultery. There's a form of adultery that's being committed when that takes place. The Lord went on to say, you've heard it said, love your neighbor. And then in his culture, that added something to it and hate your enemy. They just assumed that your neighbor was somebody you liked. So you can love them and it must be okay to hate your enemy. What the Lord Jesus said is this, no, you, you love your enemy. You bless those that persecute you. You pray for those who curse you. You do good. You show, you show righteousness and kindness toward those people. See, that's, that's moving on to maturity. If we just you know, choose we're going to love this person, not love that person, then that, that means we're, we're, trying to, we're trying to stay on the basement of what Jesus desires us to be. He wants us to move on to maturity. He's reminding him, look, <clears throat> we need to move on from just simple repentance and the prohibition against not doing this to the fact that we're going to now do this. We're going to apply the deeper understanding of the law of God. He mentioned also faith toward God, which means we're going to trust in Him. And they needed to understand something as as Jewish Christians thinking about maybe possibly backing away from following Jesus. They they have to remember something. God's the triune God. You cannot deny Jesus without denying the Father. And then what's to happen? Once we're saved, and by the way, repentance and faith go together in conversion. And once we have this trust in God, it means we walk with Him each day. And we, we trust Him. We trust His promises. And we also trust Him in this way. No matter what our flesh wants to do, no matter what our culture tells us to do, no matter what our peers are pressuring us to do, we look at what the Word of God has revealed and we trust that God is right and we, we submit ourselves to Him and we obey His Word. That's how you move on to maturity. That's how you move on in your, in your walk with Him. Then He mentions baptisms. Baptisms. The Jewish Christian would have thought of all the ritual baptisms in the Jewish culture and where they, the Jewish system, the washings to cleanse a person from sin. What they need to be re- reminded of is Jesus washes us from sin. And our Christian baptism symbolizes that's what's happened. When we go under the water, it symbolizes that we died to who we used to be. When we come up out of that water, it symbolizes we've been resurrected to be a new creation in Jesus Christ. Our sins have been washed away in Christ Jesus. And we publicly testify before everyone that Jesus Christ is our Lord. That's what baptism represents. Then he mentions the laying on of the hands, which that may have pictured the scapegoat after um, when the high priest would lay his hands on the scapegoat, like transferring the sins of Israel to that scapegoat and it being taken outside of the city. Jesus Christ is the one who took our sin away. There is resurrection mentioned here. And as Christians, we understand the basics right off the bat with this uh, understanding of resurrection. Our Lord was the firstborn among the dead. He is the first one to be raised, resurrected. And every one of us who are saved, people experience a resurrection. Now, that doesn't mean that I just want to equate that to my eternal life, and I'm going to just have only that aspect of it. But when you have a deeper understanding of resurrection, here's what you do. You recognize you don't live your best life now. I hear that today. I hear Christians today say they're just trying to live their best life now. Well, let me just tell you this. If you're a Christian, you ain't going to live your best life right now. You're not. If you're non-Christian and you never accept Christ, all you can do is try to live your best life right now. The fact that we're going to be raised from the dead one day reminds us there there is a kingdom, eternal kingdom that is coming that will never pass away. It's a kingdom of perfection. It is a kingdom where the redeemed of the Lord will live and reign and serve Him. That's what we're looking forward to. So we live now in light of the fact that the best for us is yet to come. And so we deny self and obey Him so that we actually lay up treasure in the eternal kingdom. That's what the Word of God teaches us. Changes my whole view on how I live right now. Understanding a deeper understanding of the resurrection. Then He talks about eternal judgment here. And through Christ we are delivered from eternal judgment to love him to worship him to serve him to obey him so we don't settle for the fact that we just have eternal life praise God for that we have a responsibility right now to live in light of the gift of eternal life that we've received we are to go on to maturity and verse 3 says and this we will do notice that we there emphasizes the personal responsibility that we have I'm going to tell you this. Ultimately, even though we fail often in discipleship, ultimately, I'm going to tell you, when we stand before Jesus Christ, those who fail to disciple us will have to give an account. But I'll tell you this. There's going to be no excuses for our own personal lack of involvement in our spiritual development and growth. You can't blame everybody else. You can't say, well, they didn't teach me, or they didn't come see me, or they didn't... Take better care of me. Blah, blah, blah. It's our responsibility to grow. We've got to go on with the Lord. But notice in verse 3, it says this, If God permits. Now, what's that even related to? That phrase is related back up to verse 1, to this phrase, Let us go on to perfection. We're to go on to maturity, and we will if God permits. Now, what's that all about? Hadn't we just established the fact that He wants us to grow? Well, that's what this warning is all about in verses 4 through 6. So the first thing we see in this text is this. We're called to move on to maturity, but the second thing I want to show you is this. We are warned against refusing to mature verses 4 through 8 in verses 4 through 6 there is a severe warning we need to ask ourselves three questions number one who is being addressed are these Christians are these non-Christians or are these professing Christians that are not really saved who are these people the second question we've got to answer is this what is the nature of this warning what does this warning mean And the third thing is this, what are we to do in light of this? What's our response? But before I do that, I want to share with you three things that I'm very certain of. So y'all ready for this? Three things I'm very certain of is going to help us as we dig into this text. Number one, I am absolutely certain that a person that is genuinely saved, they have truly been converted will stay converted. I'm convinced of the security of a true believer. I believe the Word of God says in John chapter 10, verse 28 and 29, that no one can snatch us away from the Lord. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14 says that after we believe, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit as a guarantee of our inheritance. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6 says that He who began a good work in us will complete it. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 23 and 24 says that God will preserve us blameless until the coming of the Lord Jesus. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 5 says we are kept by the power of God for salvation. I am convinced that we are kept secure by Him. The second thing I'm certain of is this. A person who professes Christ and yet continues to live in habitual sin are not giving evidence that they've genuinely been converted. 1 John chapter 3 verses 8 through 10. Now Christians can stray and they can get way off in the weeds sometimes. But if they are his the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 12 that he chastens to bring us back into fellowship with him. But those who profess to know Jesus as their Savior, and yet after their profession, there's no change that ever really takes place in their life, and they continue in their sin, they continue on, those persons are not giving off evidence that true conversion has really happened in their lives. The third thing I'm certain of is this. If a person walks away from Christ and says, I no longer believe this, and I walk away from this, I am convinced that person was never converted to begin with. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 19. Uh, John says, those who left us did so because they were never of us. They were never truly a part of us. And the Lord Jesus talked about it too. He said, there are some who call him Lord, Lord. But they, he said, I don't know you. Now, he said, depart from me, for I never, what? Knew you. There was a time that I knew you. You're saying you're, but listen. There are people who profess Christ and then they walk away from Him. It is because they never knew Him. I'm certain of those three things. Now let's keep that in mind as we dig into these verses. The first question that we've got to answer is this: Who is being addressed here? Is this Christians? Is this non-Christians? Who who are these people? Because the Word of God says here in very strong language in verse 4, for it's impossible for those. And it describes who those are. Those are those who have once. Now, I want you to make a note of this. That word once there means once for all. It means that once this happened, it doesn't happen again. So it speaks of something that was, that was completed who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, if they fall away, it's impossible to renew them again to repentance. Now, enlightened here, several participles here that describe these people. The first one is enlightened. It means to be enlightened by the word of God. The Word of God has enlightened them. They've come to understand the truth. 1 Timothy 2.4 says that God desires all to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. This enlightenment here uh, describes the state of someone coming to the knowledge of the truth. They've tasted the heavenly gift. The heavenly gift is the gift of salvation. The participle tasted means a full experience This word is used over in chapter 2 and verse 9 to describe the fact that Jesus tasted death for us all, for everyone, the Scripture says. It's a full experience. They're called partakers of the Holy Spirit. In chapter 3, verse 1, the partakers were identified as believers. They're true believers. They've tasted the good word of God and the power of the age to come. That means they've experienced the blessing of obedience to God's word and they've experienced the power of conversion. They have sensed and seen the power of God working in their lives and they're getting a taste of what it will be like in the coming kingdom when the Lord Jesus Christ returns. All these participles point to a person that's genuinely converted. They're, they're, they're a Christian Well, that brings us to the second question. What is this warning exactly then? Because it's to Christians, so what is this warning? There are five major interpretations to this text. Are y'all still with me? Y'all do your head like that if y'all still with me. I want to make sure y'all are still awake. And Some of your eyes are glazing over a little bit. There are five major interpretations to this text. Number one, or to what it means here to, to fall away. Number one, some say that it means you lose your salvation. And we've already established the fact from other areas of the New Testament that the evidence of the New Testament speaks of the security of the believer. The word fall away here is often interpreted as meaning apostasy. That's not the best interpretation of this word. You do an exhaustive word study of that that word. So that's not a a good interpretation. Number two... It could mean, or some interpret it to mean, and I've held this position before, that it's speaking of people who profess Christ, but they're not truly His, and they they leave, they withdraw from the church, proving that they were not really saved, and they committed apostasy, and so therefore, they can't be renewed again to repentance. They can't ever be saved again. Now, the problem with that is, the Word of God says they can't be renewed again. See, so they were renewed to begin with. Secondly, all those participles I just named out to you, describe, man, that, that's huge evidence that there, there are Christians that's being talked to. These are true believers that are being talked to here in this text. A third is the hypothetical view. And that, that is, they just believe that this is a, a real stern warning and it's basically the Holy Spirit saying, look, I mean, let me just tell you, tell, put it to you this way. You're wanting to back away from the Lord right now and not serve Him. And if you could really do that, and you could really, if this could really be a possibility, if you could walk away from your faith, then you couldn't be renewed back again uh, to be saved. And so it's just hypothetical. Well, that doesn't seem to carry the force that this warning has in this text. This is a serious and severe warning that would just seem a little bit benign if, it, if we didn't have something more than just hypothetics looking at this. And then there is another one, a view that's, that's similar to the hypothetical view that says that yeah, you can't lose your salvation, but here's how God keeps you saved. He keeps you saved with these warnings. And there's a lot of problems with that one, in my opinion, too. And then the, here's the final one. This is where I take now. I, I've, really, I've really come to believe this is the best interpretation of this text. It makes the most sense of it. And that is that what's being said here is it's a loss of reward that's being talked about here. Because you won't go on to maturity then what God will do if you continue in this state, He will actually prevent repentance and you will actually miss out on some of the most incredible things He was going to do through your life. Treasure to be laid up in heaven. And just like the people of Israel at Kadesh Barnea, who were still saved, they spent their existence in the wilderness instead of in the promised land. There's too many Christians. As I've said earlier in this study who settle for the wilderness and they reject a walk with God it's like a land of milk and honey the word fall away here means to transgress against the Lord and again it's playing off that example of the Exodus generation same thing that said over here I uh, mentioned to you a moment ago and. Chapter 4, verse 11. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall. That's the same type of word there. This, that word there in verse 11 is pipto in the Greek. The one in chapter 6, verse 6 is parapipto. Very similar. It means to disobey and to rebel. And so again, not to be allowed to repent means that you you are in this position and God does not allow you to move on to repentance for a time because He has you under His discipline. I believe there are people who go through the discipline of God, Hebrews chapter 12 says, and they begin to once again produce righteousness in their lives. And they they go on in the faith. But I'm going to tell you what happens. Nothing can ever recover what their disobedience has cost them. They're saved, but they have lost reward. They have lost the blessings that God desired for them while they walked in obedience with Him right now simply because they would not go on in their walk with Jesus. And I believe verse 7 and 8 really illustrate, as we close out this message, really illustrate this point that I'm trying to make here this morning. I believe this is what the Spirit of God is making through this text. But I want you to notice this illustration. For the earth... Now notice there's not two pieces of land here. There's only one. For the earth which drinks in the rain that often comes upon it and bears herbs useful for those by whom it is cultivated receives blessing from God. Can you see what's happening here? Here's a life that's producing fruit. Here's a life that's maturing, they're going on in maturity, and, and it's it's benefiting, it is the kingdom of God's being built through that life, and God blesses that life. Now look at verse 8. But if it bears thorns and briars, it is rejected and near to being cursed, whose end is to be burned. Now I'll be honest with you, I used to interpret verse 8 to speak of eternal destruction. It's somebody going to hell. That's what I that's what I was interpreting that. But but notice they're not cursed. They're near to being cursed. The word rejected is a word that's used to mean eternal loss and also a loss of reward, both. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, Paul uses it to refer to a lost person. And 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, he uses it to refer to himself. And he says, I want to finish the race well, lest I become disqualified. He's talking about losing reward. It's what he's talking about. And then we go on in verse 8. It says, and near to being cursed, whose end is to be burned. I used to interpret that to mean eternal condemnation. But let me read something to you out of 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 12 through 15. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, and precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear for the day. That's the day of judgment when Christians stand before the Lord. We'll declare it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. And if anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward... If anyone's work is what? Burned. He will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet as though through fire. Listen, one day, every one of us are going to stand before Jesus Christ. Every one of us. And we're going to give an account for how we've lived this life for Him. And for some, they have built their... They built on the foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ and with gold and silver and precious stones. That means eternal work. They've gone on in the faith. They have matured in the Lord. They have served Him, lived for Him, died died to themselves and lived for the Lord. And what they'll receive is reward. And it will affect to some degree how they live out in the eternal kingdom, how they rule and reign with Christ in the eternal kingdom. And then there's going to be some who stand before the Lord and their entire life's work is burned up in the presence of Christ. Because they have spent most of their life living for themselves, their own desires, their own wants. They have neglected moving on in maturity in their walk with God and they lose reward because of it. Now they're saved. But they lose reward because of it. Do you know that the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 6 that those who refuse to go on in maturity are people who crucify again the Lord Jesus and put Him to open shame. Now what that means is they actually identify themselves with the very ones who would not believe and crucified Christ. That's how serious it is when we don't go on with God. And we don't mature. And we don't pursue righteousness. And so there's a choice here today. Either we move on to maturity, or we become stagnant and refuse to walk with God. But the warning in this text is against the latter. What we should be doing is pursuing maturity. What we should be doing is going on with God. And so I want to say to you, my brothers and sisters, whom I love deeply, let's go on with God. Let's mature. Let's mature. Let's pursue holiness. Let's be the people He's called us to be. Let's don't settle. Let's don't have a wilderness experience. But let's live this Christian life in the land of milk and honey intimacy with Christ and what he'll do one day when we glorify him before him he'll reward us the word of God says so I'd encourage us all today to move on to maturity and now's a good time for us during our invitation <clears throat> to talk with God about this and maybe to confess some things in our own life and, and we've been warmed from the scripture and, and what a, thank God that he loves us enough to give us the warning isn't that right so, now what we should do is resolve in our hearts and surrender to move on to maturity in our walk with Him. And for some in this room today, you may not know the Lord. I mean, you may know about Him. You might even be a religious person, might even be a church member, for all I know. But you recognize there never has been a change in your life because you truly never have surrendered yourself to the Lord. But today you recognize that you're separated from Him. And you know your sin is alienating you from God, but you also know what He did for you in His love. And Jesus came and He's lived and died and rose again so that if you will turn from sin today and trust Christ, He will save you. And as we stand to sing in just a moment, I'd like to ask you to come see me down front and just say to me, I I need Jesus today. And we'll, we'll pray with you about that. Others may need to just spend some time with the Lord right now at this altar and say, Lord, help me to to move on to maturity or keep on moving to maturity. Maybe you want to come pray for some that you think are just kind of stuck and you want to see them get back with, with the Lord. So I'm going to pray. We'll stand to sing. And let's do business with God. Heavenly Father, I am grateful for this text. I'm thankful, Lord, for... You just speaking to me through it and revealing things to me and through the work of study. And Lord, I want to move on to maturity. I don't want to ever settle. Lord, there have been times that I have. And I pray for all of us, Lord, to move on with you and not find ourselves in a spot someday where we can't do anything but wander in the wilderness when all along you've desired us to be in the promised land. And so I pray we begin to walk with you in a fresh new way today. I pray for those who need conversion. That today, Lord God, they would surrender their hearts to you and be saved. Maybe some need to join the church, and I pray they'll come too, Lord. So I just commit this time to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand, please.